In this episode, we are going to talk about three tips on how to become a successful entrepreneur, how to deal with money in your business, and also how to transform critic into positive feedback. Make sure to stick until the end to find all the answers. Alam, what are the three things that you have learned being an entrepreneur and a CEO and you think that everyone else should know? Sure. The first thing I think is actually your ability to uh, identify some opportunities uh, I'm working in tech, so like the industry constantly evolves. Like uh, we had some blockchain stuff happening in the past five, six years, or now we have like some AI with ChatGPT. So if you can look at some uh, opportunities like those and see how you can materialize and monetize it, that's actually a tremendous skill to have. Well, the second thing I would think about is uh, when you identify the opportunity, you also need like to solve problems. So being analytical, look at the problems, break it down is also uh, critical in the business as a CEO because you're going to look at the opportunity but then is it feasible? How can you actually reach uh, this outcome? So solving the problem constantly and you're going to have to solve problems all the time is really important. The last thing I learned is trying and trying to solve problems like this all the time won't actually necessarily lead to success mm. uh, right away. So you'll have just to solve, try and get some feedback from your customers from investors, and then come back and keep working. So resilience and the ability just to to be used to fail is actually uh, very important. Wow. And what is the right mindset to have being an entrepreneur, being a CEO, according to you? So if you have to put in one word, I would say like growth mindset is actually the, the most important part because like if you see yourself as a person that can keep evolving all the time and then you can keep learning new stuff and then combine this new knowledge, then your ability to succeed is gonna get higher. I'd like to make an analogy with the athlete. Mm -hmm. So when you start uh, very young, you, you're not trained yet. So you, you're not gonna have some great outcome. But by practicing, by training, by doing more and more of those moves, you're gonna get better at it. By uh, playing uh, on the field with other players, you're gonna learn new things. So that's pretty much the same when you uh, run a business you're gonna just like start to sell, it's not gonna work out really well in the beginning. And then slowly, step by step, you're gonna understand and get some insights. You're gonna learn new things in this environment. Uh, I learned way more things when I was in uh, Bangkok as well, in, uh, in Thailand, or when you fly to Manila. So you change environment, you meet new people, they're gonna give you more insights over time and then you're gonna become a better person and more successful. Speaking of people and of insights, being an entrepreneur and a CEO, you have to deal a lot with feedbacks, with critics from your partners, your customers, uh, people around you. How do you personally deal with these feedbacks, these critics, and how do you make them positive? Sure. I usually use empathy. Mm. Uh, the way I do it is actually to put myself in the shoes of the other person and then see like why this person is going to tell me such things. What, uh, what's the motivation behind and then uh, sometimes they're gonna say some harsh things, but those things will be useful. And then I can hear it. And the second step is actually, if I can filter out all the, the feedback, because some feedbacks are not necessarily productive, then you're looking at, this is actually important and that might actually be something that I can do. So you evaluate feasibility. And then what I do is actually eventually build some new value proposition. I'll give you a very simple example. I was in Singapore uh, a few years ago. And uh, so I, uh, this company I, I built is called WisePass. And then we sold this membership for $300 a month. 
And then we started to have like a lot of people buying. The revenue grew like 50% every month. But then when I came back to Singapore and the investor told me when we were having a beer that uh, the business is not going to work. And that was his feedback. And I, I told him like, okay, why? Well, the thing is like, um, if you want to build a big tech startup, you have to have lots of users, millions of users, billions of users. Well, this is a mantra. And for him, like $300 a month is way too, uh, way too high. So he's... Even the membership itself, the price was too high. Yes. And because of that, uh, his, his feedback was, can you make a membership for $10 a month? So like 30 times cheaper or 10 or 20 or like much cheaper, at least by 10x. And the reason why is because like when you have like a much lower price point, then you're going to be able like just to uh, grow the business with way many more users. So it's better to have like a million subscribers at, let's say $10 and you will make like a $10 million business per month rather than having maybe like a, a $300, say a thousand people only because it's easily going to go down. So what did you do eventually when you spoke to this person? So the, the feedback was really productive, but it took me like almost a year just to understand like how can actually fit in like a plan where you're going to make like $10 a month only, but actually give a great value proposition. Because mm -hmm. like making the plan and just selling this for $10 is, is easy. The hardest part is actually what do you give to people when you sell something for $10 a month? And the solution I found eventually was in 2019 with the brand Singha. It's a beer brand from uh, Thailand. What they did was pretty simple. Like we just priced for $9 a month or 189,000 VND. And people could get like three free beers every single day in the bars. So like when you look now at the, at the bar, the cost is around like $2, $3 a single beer. Um, but then you can get up to like 90 beers uh, for a month for only $9 a month. So now you have a great value proposition that you can sell uh, to the market and then the market will respond. And we had like almost like uh, over a thousand beers redeemed like within the first 30 days. So it was a good advice in the long run. It was a great advice. Even in the beginning, like you might actually take it personally. You might actually feel that attacked, right? But the most important part is uh, to talk to people and get productive uh, comments like this and know that they're not here just to destroy you, to attack you, but they're here just to tell you that this is going to be better. But I have to tell you that it's not going to be something you can solve right away. So when you have a like, discussion with investors, like they're going to tell you like uh, problems you need to solve in the long run. A, a second example would be, um, I got another investor, like he took this membership for $300 a month. And then at that time in 2017, he told me, I have a big problem with your thing, your membership, because you can only access alcohol. And he's married and his wife really worried about him. So uh, he just told me like, can you do something so it's not just about alcohol? Mm -hmm. So the feedback was, uh, don't make this as a use case only for drinking. Do it so it's going to be about something else. And we came up with uh, eating. So this membership we sold for $300. Not only you can drink every night if you want, but you can also now switch to eating for a set lunch in many restaurants across uh, the city. So we started at Kui and eventually like we set it up at the refinery and many other places. Mm -hmm. Since then, like we saw like the, the, the use case of like drinks from 100%, it went all the way down to 20%. Mm -hmm. 
and food became like our uh, primary use case at WisePass in 2018. Mm -hmm. So it took a year again, but then we realized that by taking those feedbacks and building this new value proposition, like we start to get users hooked and then they kept like paying $300 every month. But how do you recognize a productive feedback from something that is negative, you personally? So uh, I would say like a productive or unproductive feedback would be uh, the following like, can you do something about it when people will tell you something else? And if, uh, if not, then that's an unproductive feedback. If it's not something I can uh, take it and transform into something valuable for the market, for the customers, Usually, you just got to forget it. Uh, you have to just uh, be used to receive the feedback and not taking it personally. So that's why the number one thing is empathy. Listen to people, whatever they say, that's fine. But the second step is, okay, so they said that. Why did they say that? Empathy. And then if they said that, is it going to make the product better or the service better? If yes, then I start working on it. So you got to get used to this kind of process where it's very uncomfortable just to get negative feedback. But the minute you're really comfortable to have this kind of like mindset, this famous growth mindset related to the previous question, mm -hmm. then you're going to have higher chances to improve. Mm. And what are the main rules by which you live as a CEO, as a successful entrepreneur? Sure. So I have like, the first was, am I aligned with my values? Mm. So I live by freedom, passion, excellence. And then this is really like the, the main values I try to, to focus on when things are getting tough. So I'll give you one really short story. In 2019, I got this offer for $3 million just uh, for another company to buy out from the US. And uh, I realized that the, the offer was great and I, I got a lot of people telling me that I should take it. I get, actually got the paper like in front of me just to sign. And then uh, they came to my office, but then eventually I said no. And the reason why is because I didn't uh, first like, align with the purpose. And then my goal was to live in my 30s to build something really big. And I felt like just like taking the money like this would, me, would make me like purposeless. The second thing is actually, if I even take the offer, is it going to be like a, a, great, um, a great buyout? And am I going to be proud of it? Excellence. And I didn't believe so. So you actually try to get back to the values and try to see if it's aligned with your values or not. And this is actually how you understand that this is going to be a good decision or not. So is it good for the business? That would be the second thing. Like when you make a decision, are you, you have to think not for yourself anymore. You have to think for the business overall. And sometimes people, even though they start the business with you, even though they're in the company for years, they'll forget that uh, they run, uh, we're running a business. And then like, they may cause like a very positive or contribute uh, positively, but also negatively. So as a CEO, you're like the compass, you're like in the middle and then you're here, you're at the core to remind people like what's good for the business, what's bad for the business and why we're making this decision. So uh, that's the second thing I have in mind, yeah. And so we talk a little bit about WisePass. You are the founder of WisePass, CEO as well. What are the challenges that you faced with WisePass from its creation up to now? Sorry for the interruption. And thank you so much, guys, for always supporting, for always commenting and sharing our content. If you want to support us more, please buy us coffee here so we can make more content for you. Sure. The, the first thing I would say that 
when I started WisePass, I, I did this research. And this research was about, okay, in the offline world, um, we see that retail is taking 94% of sales. Online is like 6% in the US. That was 2014. And uh, I'm, I'm from marketing, e-commerce. And when I did the research, I was really surprised about this because um, in 2014, Amazon is like a huge company and they only have 6% of the sales online. My question was, what's going on for the 94% offline? That's the first question. And uh, I realized that if you can build something where you can talk to the brands and then actually build an app or a technology that can actually drive sales offline, that would be an amazing uh, um, solution for them. It would be a huge thing. But here's a challenge. When I did that, I was thinking only about my research and I forgot the consumers. So I built an app and then after that, uh, I just gave people like the app to use so they could go to offline locations in restaurants, in bars, in, uh, we, we worked with L'Oreal in 2016, that was great. And then the people with the app would get to the restaurant, to the bar, the restaurant, or to the beauty store, body shop as well. But then like we saw that the consumer were like just using it like once or twice and would just leave the app. So what I realized is you shouldn't forget the consumer. You should start from the consumer first and then build a great value proposition so they can use it from themselves. Not the other way around. The brand will come later, but if you can build a market with consumers using your product every day, almost every day, then this is when you're going to be successful. So the first primary mistake is focusing on the academic research and forgetting the most important component, your customers. Who is going to pay? Who's going to use it? And who's going to actually drive everything behind? The second thing would be like how to manage, make sure like the hiring. So like I'm in tech, so if you're in a tech company, you should have developers, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I shared this with many uh, other founders and CEO when we raise money, uh, millions of dollars or even less. The primary mistakes we make is we hire a lot of developers because like, we're a tech company. We should have a lot of developers, but it costs a lot. So what happens is they take a big part of your uh, monthly expenses. And then when you look at the results in tech and how they make progress, like it's actually going down. So and the reason why is because when you have a big team, then like, the progress actually slow down over time. So it's just... Um, and the primary mistake that we all made or I made is just by adding people doesn't actually translate into like a better yield. So the key learning is instead of hiring like uh, 20 people, 15 people, try to hire small teams and incentivize them by actually uh, whenever they complete the mission that they're being assigned, then this is uh, when they're going to get the bonus, right? So scale down and focus on like on the results and then it's going to get much faster surprisingly less is more yep less <laughs> is more definitely and uh that's why i have to thank uh one friend of my uh Tuan from recruitery he helped me just to build the team uh last year and then it's so much more effective yeah. so the last thing for the key learning would be well uh, the main challenge is actually for a startup it's always about money right yeah, so how do we use money in a startup, actually? Oh, you use money better, I would say. <laughs> um, I'd say, like, uh, I start, I have to say that um, you're always starving for cash, basically, uh, when you, you run a startup. I sold my house when I started WisePass, so I got, like, pretty much $70,000. But then, like, you start just to spend all, uh, all the money around, 
and then you don't look at how, how much money is going in, how much money is going out. You focus too much. I, that's my mistake. Like, I was focused more like how to build this value proposition, this product, how just to get more customers. And I didn't take into account like how much money I was spending. And that was okay if you are actually getting customers, mm. because of course this is important. But then if you're not looking at how much you're spending as well, and that was our biggest problem in 2019, then you're going to have like a lot of uh, invoices unpaid, right? So like uh, the key learning is, and it led to like a big social media crisis for me. But eventually like I got funding and it's great, we got money. So the key learning is about cost management. And then whatever we do now, like we always like really carefully spend the money, really actually everything I spent over 1 million VND, which is not much, then uh, we have to review it for um, at least a week. And then uh, anything under, that's fine. And then like uh, we have those like uh, monthly reports on our bank account now. So I'm aware of everything on a daily basis. So we make sure like we're on track for the month, for the quarter, for the year. And then like uh, we're much more reliable every three months when we talk to our investors are like, that's the only money we're going to spend. And you got to most of the time say no to big fancy places mm. or I can't do all those things anymore. So it's like, even though you have the money, you still have to behave like you don't have that much. Correct. Saving mood. So what we do now is uh, we lock the money in a savings account and I can't even touch it. So like by design, your finances are safe because, uh, because like you can't even s spend the cash that is in your own account. You trick yourself. I trick myself. So <laughs> like uh, that's why, and then I, I designed it and then eventually I have to give it to uh, my future CFO, the, the finance person. And they have to uh, abide by this policy where we have to get like always more money in the bank and this extra money will be put in a savings account. So that's very safe, but that's um, also less exciting when you, uh, when you run the business because you know like you're, you have limits and you gotta say no to people most of the time. So you learn how to say no to people because like you're not gonna be able to spend more in this marketing campaign. You're not gonna be able to run this big event. You're not gonna be able to hire maybe like 10 more people. So how do you say no politely, efficiently? Um, most of the time, like when people are really uh, pressing you, like you just have to tell them that you have to reconsider and uh, think about it. Mm. If you, in, exactly. And then, or the way I said is, uh, I don't want to over promise. Mm. And then like I have just to consider. And, but if I say yes, I'll do it. And it's better to have like a firm 100% yes rather than yes, yes, but it's not a real yes. So most of the time I will tell people, look, uh, I'm happy to work with you. I'll be happy to work with you in the future and invest only when I'm sure 100% that you'll get paid every month as a partner. And then, you know, I'm a reliable person. And that's much more, uh, that makes you more trustworthy rather than trying to say, come over, work with me. I'm not gonna be able to pay you, but come over. And that's the wrong message to send. So you gotta be, really like focus on like building the relationship long-term. That's actually the, the key word for me. And when it comes to entrepreneurship in Vietnam compared to entrepreneurship in France, according to what are the pros and the cons? For me, it's really personal because uh, I came back to Vietnam in 1999. I, I was like in the cab with my dad and then I saw the HSBC sign. Now I know it's like on Dong Khoi, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I told myself like come back to Vietnam one day for sure. I don't know how, when, why, but it was a really emotional. I made this vow to myself, like in 1999, 
I'll come back. And I came back 10 years later in 2009. So the process actually, it's emotional. The thing is, uh, I just want to be here. And uh, uh, my parents are Vietnamese and I just wanted to come back at least for 10 years just to feel and see how it is in uh, this country. I wasn't born in Vietnam, so I wanted to know at least like how it is here. And eventually I realized it's, it's like a, my home country. The second would be like, uh, it's more like materialistic. I would say it's living standards are here much cheaper. So when you live in Paris, the living standards are off the charts. Like it's really expensive just to get a small studio. Here, like you can just have like a nice place. And let's say the third thing is like hustling here, networking with people is so much, oh, I feel much more comfortable doing this here. And uh, people are opening up, it's easier. And you don't have to go through many barriers, right? So those are the three things I would say like um, Vietnam versus France for me. Mm. I think it's also, there's this like uh, smell of possibilities in the air in Vietnam. Every, a lot of people talk about the American dream, but for me, it's more about the Vietnamese dream because there is this culture of entrepreneurship in uh, Vietnamese people. And it's very, uh, it's also like a disease, but it's like, it's a great thing. Like you, we catch it very fast as foreigners, like everything is possible. It's very action oriented. And um, according to, you mentioned uh, hustling. So you mentioned hustling. How do you hustle efficiently? So that's my style, I would say, but the way I hustle is more like, I'm going to go to many like uh, events or networking events where you're going to meet a lot of people. That's how we met, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's true. Exactly. We met like last year and uh, it, it was like, uh, I think Annie's lunch. Yes. And then uh, what I do is just to meet people, but then take the time just to really know the person first, understand like what the person does today, but also maybe six months later, things can change. But the most important part is, I know you, I know what you do and what you're trying to do. And then like, eventually, what can we do together? Mm -hmm. Rather than on the first day I meet you, I say, Mika, what are you doing? Oh yes, let's do this and this and this. And like, or I have this thing, buy it for me. I'm more like a long-term guy where I'm gonna be chill for uh, sometimes, maybe too chill for some people, but I'm taking up to six to 12 months to really know people because as a CEO, you can't just uh, get around and really know a million people. So you got to be selective and take the time to invest with a person you want to spend time discussing one-on-one, -on -one, build the relationships, and eventually see there might be something we can build together. So usually my style for hustling is I'm going to identify a few people I think we can spend time with, have a drink, we have a coffee. Anyway, time we can allot together so we can have this interaction. And then eventually that may lead to some business or not. But sometimes like, when you have a good interaction like that, they can think about like the driving business for you or I can think driving business for this person. So it's not about like just doing business together, but actually supporting each other. So the most and key component is to build the trust and the mutual understanding of what we do. Agree. And uh, what will be your piece of advice for somebody who would like to start their journey with entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I would say like the first thing is don't just do it for the money and make sure that for me personally, and because as my personal driver, like if it's going to help you just to make you grow and become a, a better person on a daily basis, because you're going to keep learning all the time, then you should do that. Because I realize like I'm happy mostly when I keep learning new things. And that's how actually I encompass this core uh, component like inside my, uh, on the way I live, like try to keep learning new things all the time. And then you're going to feel alive. You're going to, it's going to be hard though. It's going to be challenging and that's okay. 
but you don't grow if you don't actually struggle. So that would be my main uh, piece of advice for uh, anyone who would like to try to start a new business. So embrace the struggles, guys. Embrace the struggles. <laughs> I have one last piece of question for you, Lam. According to you, what can we do daily to become a better person? I say like, um, that's one of your uh, guess. I was like, he told me that, to be honest, and he's using Notion to see. And uh, it's uh, called journaling. Mm. So there's like a, a different level of journaling, like daily, weekly, or monthly. I do it more weekly. I don't have time to do it daily. But it's just like you, you write down like all the things uh, that went through your mind, feelings, even like analytical things or ideas, and then how you feel about it and all this. And you spend like less than an hour just to do this on Sunday or a Saturday. That's fine. And then like you can actually look at some insights behind and see what can be done better. Attitude, way of reacting, way of feeling, business ideas, which is great. So that helps. So journaling is actually something I started to do uh, actually recently. Nice. Thank you so much, Lam. It's been very precious to talk to you today. It has been very precious to talk to you today. Thank you for your advice and your wisdom. Thanks for having me, Mika. Yes, come here.